This is a podcast version of a radio show by K103 Gothenburg Student Radio. Find us at k103.se. Due to copyright, the music is shortened. Hey everyone, and welcome to The Global Inn, a show where we get to dive into interesting topics on the international radar. I'm Solomon, and I can't wait for us to explore all these different topics and perhaps answer some of the questions we have on the events that affects us all. I hope that this program introduces and sparks ideas and perspectives that may broaden your knowledge on international affairs. I hope you love the show. Hi, and welcome to another episode of The Global Inn. My name is Harry, and I'll be your host for this episode. With me, I have Amanda. Amanda, do you want to say hi? Yes, hello. <laughs> in today's episode, we will dive into a very recent event that took place in Myanmar. On the 1st of February of this year, the military in Myanmar violently took power and ousted the then-current president Aung San Suu Kyi and the National League for Democracy Party, NLD. Since then, the country has been in turmoil and protests are going on every day against the military. The regime critical group, AAPP, estimates that over 500 protesters have been killed and democracy in Myanmar is more fragile than ever. Yes, there's been an increase in numbers of killed protesters and many reports of deadly violence from the military. The EU has imposed sanctions on 11 high-profile people involved in the coup in Myanmar. The US, UK and Canada have also imposed sanctions on several generals involved in the coup, with frozen assets as a result of that. Both Japan and India are demanding that Myanmar returns to the democratic route and the UN condemns the violence that has been used against the protesters by the military. The military junta has declared a state of emergency in the country and martial law has been imposed in multiple areas of the former capital Rangoon. Martial laws allow the military to arrest and sentence people to death or forced labor camps in military courts. These are just some of the latest developments. We are recording this in the beginning of April, and the situation in the country is still developing. Myanmar has faced problems with corruptions throughout society. The military have been accused of genocides toward minority groups in the country, where the Muslim minority Rohingya have been especially targeted. To give some background, Myanmar, previously Burma, gained independence in 1948. In 1962, the military initiated a coup and ruled the country from that point up until 2010. That is when the democratization process started. An election was held but was heavily criticized by outside observers. There was a transition of power in some sense and the NLD won the majority of the electable seats. But the military has always had a strong influence over politics, with reserved seats in the parliament. Several efforts have been made to further democratize the country. Another election was held in 2015 and in 2020. The military have refused to accept the results of the latest election due to the alleged election fraud. Reports of some irregularities have been made but the victory for the NLD party was still so big that many consider it legitimate. To help us explain what's happening right now, we've invited Dr. Ney Lin Toon to give us his perspective on the situation. Dr. Lin is present in Myanmar now. He is a frontline medical practitioner who is currently leading the emergency medical team in giving medical care to the civilians injured during the peaceful protests. Dr. Lin, thank you very much for joining us at the Global Inn. Do you think that was a fair introduction? <laughs> Uh, thanks for your kind uh, introduction, uh, Amanda, and the kind introduction of Harry. Uh, hi, everyone. It's, uh, I am Dr. Uh, we Hello from Myanmar. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, really good to have you here. Do you, uh, you want to tell us a little bit about what you're doing right now and your background? Uh, I work as a, right now, I work as a frontline medical doctor in the, in, 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 on the, on the protest and demonstration. Uh, before that, uh, I work as a, 
uh, high care provision in uh, non-government organization and also for the uh, high care setup for uh, uh, seven to eight years in 2013. Uh, I work in HIV-AIDS center and also uh, universal health care coverage and for the health rights for the, for the minorities and for the Bernaiva community in Myanmar. Mm. You have been educated in public policy as well. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes, uh, I was trained in medicine in from Myanmar. Uh, in I was uh, graduated in two thousand thirteen. After that, I worked for Hacker Center, and uh, later I later on I rec- recognized that uh, we need uh, a lot of policy development in Hacker Center. That's why I uh, I trying for public policy mastering. I uh, I joined the National University of Singapore. And then I specialize for her policy. And after that, it was a, a good time for me because uh, I graduated from master degree. I the COVID pandemic has was happened in my country. That's why uh, I got a very good opportunity to apply back my mm. learning in right. the policy center, like uh, COVID nineteen response mechanism. And right now, yeah, in the military uh, against in the military coup, we are also applying the. Uh, some policy issues and uh, some policy, you know, stakeholder analysis mm. in responding there and supporting their citizens from mm. danger, you know. Uh, so moving on to what's happening right now, how are you experiencing the coup as a medical doctor? Yeah, as a medical doctor, you know, uh, formerly we are based in hospital, but right now a lot of lives are lost on the street. That's why we had uh, waiting at the hospital and to the patient is not uh, efficient and effective way for life saving other people. That's why all the medical doctors, uh, as like me, we are we are we are following at the people, and then in case in emergency, we need to do the first aid team, and we need to refer the serious injury patients to the nearest hospital. Uh, that's why we are already uh, as a medical doctor or as a medic, as a medical cover for the for the people on the street. Mm. Now, how has your life as a medical doctor changed in the past few months? Because you're handling a pandemic in the midst of this coup as well, right? Yeah, you know, everything is changed for the medic uh, because, you know, uh, no one is safe on the street. There's a Ugliest true in Myanmar because even you wear any anything like a medical cover suit or anything, uh, there is no exception or there is no life saving uh, uh, suit. You know, in other countries like they are wearing a red cross or something like that on the on their t shirt. Mm. Uh, they uh, the attack or the military can you know give exemption, but here there is no safe and that's why, yeah, for the medics are uh, joining the like uh, not supporting their people on the street by, uh, you know, they also taking risk of their life. Mm. <clears throat> and uh, how have the demonstrations developed over time with regards to amount of people showing up and the amount of violence? Yeah, uh, right now it's already over two months. In the entire month of February, uh, a lot of people like uh, protesting on the were protesting protesting on the street and a lot of big crowd on the street. But later on in early March, the military start shooting. Mm. You know, like shooting, uh, shooting to death and mm. a lot of injuries and you know a lot of uh, a lot of unnecessary life loss on the street happen. Uh, that's why later on, there are only a few protesters on the street and. Mm. They are changing their style as well. Formerly, they protest peacefully, protest for their voice. But later on, they 
they need, need to make a difference to save their life or the people. Now, I know this is a very complex topic, but if you could put it simply, why are people protesting, Dr. Lin? Yeah, it's a very good question. Because, you know, in last uh, 2020, November, we vote for the coming election, we vote the election. And then the election was that was uh, very clear about the the winning party or the NRD. But uh, but uh, on the 1st of February, you know, the military could abusely, you know, taken over the other vote and mm. they deny the reserve. And they also have a lot of impact on, on the citizens because we vote for our future government. Actually, I know, mean not only to the you know energy nationally for democracy but also for other political parties there are as for example like ethnic political parties they are also the ethnic citizens they are also voting for their parties but all the results are are denied you know mm. and cancelled that's why all the people are feeling that uh this there you know there's a a normal use of power you know power of the military to neglect the way of the people. That's why all the people are protesting that we don't want any military coup and military dictatorship in our country. Mm-hmm. We are, people are standing and shouting on the street, not for anarchy, for mm-hmm. the like against the military. They want to make their voices heard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. And uh, what has the response been to the military's increased use of violence? Uh, you know, uh, day by day, you know, there the military crackdown was uh, is intense. First, formally, the peaceful protesters are like uh, were standing and shouting peacefully. But later on, the military start crackdown the people, and by using the you know like uh, smoke gas or you know a lot of uh, weapons. But later on, they use the real uh, the real bullet. Mm-hmm. Like uh, instead of using a rubber bullet, they use the real bullet and a lot of camps. Yeah, this kind of, you know, uh, intensing the crackdown on the people. That's why, as you mentioned in introduction, over 500 uh, citizens are already dead. Mm. Mm. Dr. Lin is not our only guest in this episode. We also have with us Axel Kronholm today. Um, Axel is a freelance journalist who has been covering Myanmar for almost a decade. Welcome to the show, Axel. Thank you. So, Axel, would you mind just giving us a brief introduction of yourself and what you do? So I'm a freelance uh, writer and, and radio journalist. And, and as you said, I've been covering Myanmar for quite some time now and also Southeast Asia in, in general, uh, mostly for Nordic and international outlets. Awesome. Uh, would you like to tell us more about why this coup happened now? Well, probably for a, a myriad of, of reasons, um, but I, just to name a few, the, the military is political wing, the the USDP party, were quite humiliated in the 2020 elections. Now, that was the second time that Aung San Suu Kyi's party, the NLD, won a landslide victory. And, and this time, it was an even bigger victory than, than last mm-hmm. time in, in 2015. The NLD got over 80% of the electable seats. Um, and so... What you, I think it's important to understand that the military has, since uh, 2008, when they drafted a new constitution to Myanmar, they've enshrined very far-reaching 
you know, guarantees for their own influence. So basically, no matter what happens in the elections, the constitution still guarantees them a very large say in what happens in Myanmar. They control important ministries and they have about 25% of uh, seats in parliament reserved for them. Now, despite this, they apparently felt like power was slipping away from them in some way, or they feel sidelined after these two uh, election defeats. Mm. Um, There's also been speculation on uh, whether the junta leader, the commander-in-chief, Min Aung Laing, who was set to retire uh, in a short while, whether this is sort of partly also a move by him to make sure that he stays in power and that he's sort of relevant also in the future. Okay. Um, but, but it's very hard to know. It's probably a, a mix of all these reasons. So, so obviously the, the NLD party leader, Aung San Suu Kyi, has been very influential in the history of Myanmar. Could you tell us what role she's played for the democratization process in Myanmar? Well, she's played a massive role. So uh, I think one big reason for why she emerged as the leader for this movement is because of her father. She She's the daughter of the founding father of uh, independent Myanmar, you could say, General Aung San, who led the fight for independence from the British. And so uh, during the 1988 uprisings, where thousands of protesters were killed by the military when they were protesting the, the military dictatorship at that time, she emerged as the leader for these uh, for this democratic movement. It was sort of a very powerful historical narrative, you know, of the of the daughter of the former founding mm. father mm. coming back to to you know lead the country into the future, and so she founded the the National League for Democracy at that time, and yeah, she's had a huge role in personifying the movement for democracy, but also I think getting international attention to to the movement and to Myanmar. Mm. So uh, ever since the start of the queue, we've been told that there are obviously there are two you know uh, normal parties to this conflict. You have the protesters and you have the military. But some of these people people we've spoken with from Myanmar have also told us that there are a lot of local militias participating in the fighting. Can you tell us a little bit about who these are? Yeah, so there's a there's a bunch of different armed groups in Myanmar that have been involved in civil war. All the way back since independence, I mean, you you can say that there's never really been a country with you know with today's borders before independence. Mm. Uh, this sort of the modern Myanmar that we have today is a construction of the independence from Great Britain. So it's a country of over 140 ethnic minorities, um, and some of these minorities are represented by armed organizations that still to this day are fighting against the military on the issue of how these ethnic regions should be governed. Uh, there's a, to simplify it a little bit, there's, you could say there's a conflict between the, the majority Burmese uh, power, which wants to have a unified country, uh, sort of a Myanmar national identity, and who sees ethnic identity and ethnic uh, cultures as sort of a threat to that unified identity. Uh, And there's, yeah, as I said, still to this day, fighting um, 
which revolves around how this country should be governed as a unified country or as a more of a federal uh, arrangement where ethnic minorities have their right to practice their language and their culture and also have a say in the vast natural resources that are in these ethnic areas. And so now what's happened is that some of these, or I should say a lot of these ethnic armed organizations, over 10 of them have put their support behind the protesters. Some of them have even gone on to attack military positions and police postings. Do you think this will help the protesters in uh, reaching their goal for more democracy? It's it's hard to say because it's it's a very dangerous game. I mean, on the one hand, you could see how more fighting uh, in the periphery would sort of distract the military from the urban centers where a lot of the protests are happening. Mm. But at the same time, if if there's one thing the Myanmar army knows, it's how to fight, and uh, the people who will bear the uh, you know the brunt of that fighting is the, the the civilian population in these ethnic areas, and they've endured war for up to 70 years in some cases so mm. um and we're seeing some of that now in Karen state in the east of Myanmar where you have thousands of people fleeing into Thailand from the Myanmar army's um aerial bombardment of villages so mm. it's uh yeah it's it definitely comes with a high price with all all of this conflict going on, do you think that there's a possibility that this coup will develop into a full-blown civil war? Yeah, I mean, in a sense, there's there's already a civil war. Uh, it might get bigger, of course. Um, and uh, I think the military is capable and willing to bring total carnage to Myanmar. And I think what that would mean for it's hard to fathom what that would look like mm. and sort of what that would mean for the region, uh, considering like the refugee flows and how that would destabilize the region, possibly even draw in regional powers. Um, it's it's a very scary scenario to think about, mm. and it's hard to sort of visualize what that would look like, but it's definitely a, a possibility. And people are warning for the risks of Myanmar becoming essentially a failed state and as you say, a full-blown civil war. Well, social media has uh, brought new ways for us to communicate and for people to organize. Uh, in what way has social media affected the fight for democracy in Myanmar, would you say? In, in a great way. like Just compared to previous uprisings in 2007 or 88, you can't even compare the amount of evidence of atrocities of images and reporting that we're getting from Myanmar. Mm. Uh, and I mean, the quality of having crimes reported and documented from multiple angles, you have sometimes the same atrocities recorded from, from several cell phones, which means that we can verify it and you can say that, yes, this, this did happen. That mm. would be very important in any future. Um, you know, uh, hopefully <laughs> there will be a chance to bring justice to to this and to put people you know, on trial for what's happened. And, and that kind of evidence will be crucial in, in such a scenario. Mm. And there's also very impressive reporting done by citizen journalists in Myanmar who are out there risking their lives to bring us uh, stories daily about what's happening. Mm. Um, and it sort of sort of dispelled this notion that, you know, within media that we need this big, international presence of 
white journalists filtering or, or interpreting local events as they're happening. Uh, the Burmese journalists are doing a fantastic job themselves uh, without us being there. Mm. T- taking up a lot of space on social media has also been the issue with the persecution of the Rohingyas. How has this minority mm. been affected by the coup? Well, some Rohingya, I've seen some Rohingya refugees expressing support for the protest movement and, and the ousted government, which is you know impressive considering that they were also demonized and neglected by uh, that government, which is now ousted. Um, and I mean, some people have speculated if the violence from the army that ordinary Burmese uh, urban young people are seeing now has been like a sort of an eye opener um, to people who maybe doubted reports of atrocities when they were committed against the Rohingya. Remember, uh, there was a massive ethnic cleansing campaign in 2016 and 2017. Um, over 700,000 Rohingya fled to Bangladesh. Mm. There were not a lot of people in majority Burmese society that believed these reports. Uh, there was a lot of... Uh, fake news accusations thrown around. And even Aung San Suu Kyi went to The Hague to defend the military uh, and to sort of play down the, the atrocities that happened. So it's interesting now when we're seeing representatives of her government using the term Rohingya and talking about them uh, in a more sympathetic way. But it's, it's, I'd say it's too early to say whether this represents any genuine shift in their attitude mm. to the Rohingya, or if it's just posturing to get sympathy from from the international community. Okay. Well, thank you, Axel, for sharing your insight on this topic. And uh, now we'll return to Dr. Lin. So, Dr. Lin, what has been your experience of the democratization process in Myanmar? And I'm thinking, you know, when you grew up, how, how have you experienced Myanmar forming as a democracy? Uh... I'm happy to share the answer for your questions because I was grown up in the second military coup in Myanmar. I was born in 1987 and then second military coup was happened in 1988. Mm. And all my entire young age was grown up in the, under the military dictatorship. Uh, we, ha- we have first tasted the democracy in only in 2010. At that time, I was already grown up. But we all people feel that the young, young, young people like me feel that the days of democracy, how we are free to speak and how we are free to express our opinions on, on any settings. And then we, we, we like this basic human right and we, we appreciate and we value for it. But yeah, this time is at that time because uh, in my country, yeah, the first military coup what has happened in 1962 and the second in 1988. And then this at that time and then all the entire, uh, the citizen of Myanmar had lived under, you know, like six decades of military coup uh, in the country. That's why, you know, yeah, yeah. And, and in my in, in my young life, you know, we face a lot of restriction and a lot of, you know, a lot of, you know, limitation. Mm-hmm. Uh, very simple example was that the cut out electricity. You know, where right now we are cutting our internet. We only have access only the fiber internet. We don't have any you know, sync up internet or any Wi-Fi internet access in here. And in, in my lifetime, uh, in, in my younger age, uh, there was no internet. But but uh, my experience about electricity, you know, uh, we only have a six-hour 
uh, six hour electricity time in 24 hours. And then for the six hour, we had to use all our all our stuff like uh, charging, uh, charging the uh, light or, you know, everything we, we need to do. And, as, and, and in this six hour for my, for my student life, because in this six hour, I was very happy if this is hour 10 in nighttime, because it rotate with shift, sense hour in the early morning and sense hour uh, maybe evening time. For the evening time since our, I was very happy because I, I, I can study under the light, you know. Mm. But for the next two, three days, these six hours are on the daytime or on the morning time. I need to use the candles, you know, for, mm. for my study. The study under the candle make my eye different, you know. I need to wear the eyeglasses on the gray night or gray time because of less uh, less light on, on night. Yeah, this is a very uh, small example of our life. Uh, grown as another, you know, mm. military coup. Yes. Can you and, tell us a little bit more about the political limitations? Yeah, you know, uh, as far as I know, in the in my in my uh, in my young age, you know, we we have no rights or we 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 can't speak out for the against the government. You know, if we speak out, we are sure to be in jail for many years. You know, mm. you don't know how 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 many years we had to you had to live in the prison. That's why a lot of uh, years sentence for the for the political prisoners in in my country. Mm. Th- that makes me wonder. So with the times, obviously, the world has changed and Myanmar has changed, and with that, new technology has come out. Has social media affected the fight for democracy in any way? And if so, how? Yeah, before two thousand ten, yeah, and the military, and the military dictatorship, uh, the social media was not where the blood, but it was, you know, widely used after uh, after was 2010, uh, the democracy has been launched in Myanmar. Uh, in my country, uh, I think, uh, you know, three thirds of our citizens have a Facebook account, like social media user. They have, uh, they have access to social media. And then in, in our life, in, in our, in this period, we can post on social media with no limitation at all. But right now, in here, uh, the military dictatorship right now sentencing uh, all the Facebook users who mm. are saying against the military into a you know like a criminal code or fight or fight right now. And then that's why all the public posts about against the military has been hide from the from the social media. Mm. Um, and have you yourself participated in any of the demonstrations? Uh, for me, since the beginning of the early February, uh, I had actively joining a like as a citizen of Myanmar in joining the protest. Like uh, we have a lot of you know all, all my friends and all my families, and then we all, all we all are joining in protest for peacefully. But later on, you know, the military crackdown was happened, and a lot of injuries are dead and happening on the street. That's why, mm. for me as a medic, I had to join as a, a medical cover. Yes, in, uh, because we've also heard that some of the earliest uh, people to join the disobedience movement were government staff and, more specifically, doctors. Uh, what do you think about this? Uh, you know, yeah, uh, for the citizen, we are in, we were in shock mm-hmm. because you know. Uh, we we all believe that on the early of February there will, there will be a there will be a new government 
where where we enjoining the new parliament and then we will have a new government. We all believe on that. But on the earlier first of February, you know, the military coup was happened and all the citizens are shocked, you know, how to respond to this military coup. Because we 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 don't have anything to against the military. And we all find out that the 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 thing what we can do to against the government is not participating or not recognizing the military coup, uh, military takeover mm. uh, in my country. Mm. That's why all the government staff, they, you know, they don't go to uh, office, uh, they don't go to a hospital. Um, by saying that we are not any contributing in your military region mm. and we are not recognizing this military takeover action in mm. my country. And then we call this civil disobedient movement because mm. We don't recognize and we don't accept and we don't participate that in our in any military region or military activities. This makes me wonder as well, Dr. Lin, because obviously the protesters and you yourself, you're facing violence from the from the government every day, from the military, and you're actually being killed. So in spite of all this, what do you think drives the protesters every day to come back and keep going? Uh, because uh, in this case, uh, I need to express, uh, you know, like honor to the young people, especially Generation Z in my country. Especially this Generation Z are the first around 18, 19, 20. And they, they are actively joining the protest in, in the front line because they speak out that this is the first time in their life to both uh, vote in the government. And right now, they are voting with cancer or neglect. That's why they feel that is the irrespectful movement to the young people like Generation Z. Mm. That's why they are saying that respect our vote. Mm. Yeah, and then, you know, even though the military use uh, violence uh, or like abuse crackdown on the young people, they feel that um, they need to keep on fighting because they are younger, they are sisters, they are brothers, having given their life, mm. you know, over 500, you know, these people, you know, among them, around majority of the deaf person, you know, that heroes are Generation Z and young people. That's why they feel that their sister and brothers have already get up pay for their life uh, for in, against the military. And right now, we stay you know, fighting and then their life loss should not be uh, meaningless. Mm-hmm. You know, that's why even though the military are using or crack down at, at a serious level, but the people, especially the young people, uh, keep on fighting. Mm. Yeah. So uh, as a medical doctor, obviously the uh, the COVID-19 pandemic hasn't been a surprise to you. So seeing in Myanmar the vaccination campaign, the COVID infection rate, etc., how has the pandemic affected Myanmar during this coup? Yeah, for the medical perspective, uh, that this is not a right time for for taking over the like the military coup or military takeover because mm. the our country situation tend to tend from a worse to a you know a, a little big condition because the COVID nineteen condition in Myanmar it has been the uh, serious uh, level in in the region you know we are in the dot second or dot that ten ASEAN country in affecting the, you know, the incident rate and also the death rate. The, the situation in my country was not stable and that a lot of infection waves were happening among the cities, especially in big cities. 
But when the military coup was happened, all the COVID-19 prevention activities and also treatment activity has been stopped. Mm. Uh, the, all the people are on the street and then no effective measure among the citizens. And then we are still afraid of, you know, COVID-19 outbreak happen again in Myanmar. Uh, because in the early January, we received a vaccine from India and then all the vaccination campaign has been started in the late or January. We, are, we all are in happy move because of getting vaccination. But when the military coup will happen, all the vaccination campaign and, you know, all the, all the COVID-19 prevention and treatment has been mm-hmm. stopped. Mm. So, so the protesters that you meet on the street, Dr. Lin, all the young people, uh, how are they afraid of COVID-19? What do they think? Uh, as you see, yeah, right now it's already over 500 dead on the street. Uh, it's within a man, you know, it's mm. like uh, around a man. But that rate of COVID-19 has not, you know, the military, for my country experience, military coup was then the COVID-19, mm. you know. The COVID-19 killed only a few people in my country, even though we have an uh, incident rate of over, uh, you know, over uh, 100,000. But that rate is, can't compare with the, that rate, uh, that be, the amount of that just to kill by the military. Mm. And uh, Dr. Lin, what are your hopes for the future of Myanmar? What do you think the coup and the protest will result in? We are running, we are trying to uh, synchro- synchronously uh, like run in parallel. Like uh, we have a, a CRPH, it's a parliament representing the, you know, uh, mem- member, member of parliament representing the uh, parliamental law. This, uh, this uh, you know, like a, uh, 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 government government institution of the previous government or and also involving the you know ethnic uh, ethnic people and uh, we are also following the guideline of the CRPH and also we are also uh yeah in joining the uh international community like we are trying to speak out and we are uh, requesting for help for example like uh uh, to be or like uh, as you mentioned in earlier, like uh, in session to the government and also this kind of you know uh, taking action by the international community to the military and also we are also joining, we are also like uh, as in head from the internet entry as well in against in the military. Mm. But uh, so do you think that Myanmar will return to the democratic route uh, in the near future? Yes, uh, there's an absolute uh, hope for all our citizens mm. because uh, we, we as a citizen of Myanmar, we will bring back our democracy into our country. Mm. But uh, we, had to, we had to sacrifice our life and we don't know how many lives we had to sacrifice or we had to pay for it to regain our, to get back our democracy. But, but we, we, won't, we won't stop our track and we won't stop, you know, uh, we won't stop our fight. Mm. We in fighting to uh, military and then in getting back our democracy. Mm. Uh, I think uh, for the medical perspective, uh, you know, all the visit human rights and you know all the basic humanitarian principle has been lost in my country situation right now. As I uh, I want to highlight this situation uh, because in, in the you know, in any, you know, conflict or in any war affected areas, even in the war zone, you know, 
the Red Cross or you know the, this kind of facet, you know, uh, facet thing mm. has to be in, you know, is in safe, you know. Uh, the medics and the all humanitarian workers who are joining the, you know, who are supporting the, you know, not support who are having staying in the, you know, in the, you know, in the affected area mm. has to be in safe, you know. Of course, there was actually but one. In my country, oh, sorry. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> in my country, it's think that no one is unsafe. Mm. So we'd like to thank you, Doctor Lin, not only for your bravery in treating the people on the front line and your fight for democracy, but also for participating in this podcast and putting your name out there. That means a lot. Yes, it was uh, great having you on. And thanks, Harry, and thanks, Amanda, for letting me a chance to to share my experience and to share my feeling. <laughs> in the past hour or so, you've heard us discuss the ongoing coup in Myanmar with medical doctor Nay Lin Thun and freelance writer Axel Kronholm. The situation in Myanmar is still escalating with no end in sight, and every day there are more civilian casualties. As the doctor mentioned, the demonstrations are driven by a nation of people hungry for democracy. Young people and government employees have been the driving force behind the protests, and according to the people we've spoken with, they're not aiming to stop anytime soon. We also have to remember that this is all happening in the midst of a pandemic. The vaccination campaign has been all but halted. To all of you that are listening, you are more than welcome to write to us on our Facebook account, The Global Inn, if you have any questions or would like to discuss the episode. There will be an extra interview out on streaming platforms with political scientist Paul Vrese going more in depth on the current situation and persecution of the Rohingyas in Myanmar. Thank you for listening and see you next time. See you. You've just heard a podcast version of a radio show by K103 Gothenburg Student Radio. You'll find all our shows at k103.se. Follow us on Facebook or Instagram. Stay tuned.